Shalom, I am Alan. And I am Leontine. Alan and I are professional tour guides, friends, and immigrants to Israel. In this podcast, we talk about everything Israel and our life here. I moved to Israel, fulfilling a lifelong dream after 30 years as a trial lawyer in Memphis, Tennessee. And I have a lot to say about my homeland. And I was born in Holland, then lived and worked as a licensed tour guide in France and ended my journey living and working in Israel. Yalla, let's go! Hey, Ellen. Hey, Shavua Tov, Leontine. A good week to you. How are you? I'm great. I got a good cup of coffee here in the Villa Brown Hotel, and nothing could be better. Right. And we had uh, three chocolate croissants. I ate two. <laughs> you, <laughs> you ate one. So I'm full of energy. Uh, so I'm, I'm very happy also to be in the Brown Hotel on Hanevim Street. Uh, they are hosting us. We are not sitting in the house of uh, Ellen again. That's because um, you got mad at the dogs yes, once again. Always worried that the dogs will start to bark and the sweet little dogs. But you know, in the end, they, they start to know me really well now, I guess. They, you know, I have to say they bark a lot, but they don't bite. Look, they bark a lot because they love you. Exactly. Uh, which is surprising because you don't, you don't reciprocate well, I uh, anyway the the dogs are the you guys you saw the picture of the dogs on f- Alan's uh, Facebook um, uh, they are cute but a little bit annoying anyway how was your week uh, it was a great week I had a great experience um, this past week um, I went to a wedding for a very dear friend uh, from Memphis Hannah Lee she married a young man Adiel and the wedding was at a place I've always wanted to go for a wedding, uh, but this was my first to go to what is the Bell Caves of Beit Guvrin in Maresha. Mm. Have you ever been there for, for a wedding? Never. No, I know you've been there uh, taking tourists, yeah. and, and we visited together. Um, it's, it's quite incredible. So in the area of Maresha, which most people recognize as uh, Beit Guvrin, which is a World uh, Heritage UNESCO site, I believe, because mm-hmm. it has 5,000 uh, of these bell-shaped caves were, that were carved out inside uh, of these chalk hills, chalky hills, to make um, basements, basically, for the houses above. So today, uh, not only do people visit and excavate there, um, but they also have weddings uh, in, the, in the bell-shaped caves. And it was Incredible. I mean, not first of all, it's it's very cool, literally cool, because the temperature is nice inside the cave, and cool because it's sababa. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also a great place to have a white wedding because you're inside of the white chalky cave. So it was pretty pretty cool, pretty great experience. Wow! And everybody um, was dressed in white. Uh, no, no, no. Okay, but uh, but of course the the wedding gown was white, and so I want to uh, give a mazel tov and a shout out to. Hannah Lee and Adiel, Mazal Tov. Mazal Tov, for me too, even if I don't know you. So, ah, that sounds amazing. And your week, anything uh, particularly special or worthy of uh, the podcast? Always, always. So I was in Jericho. We, we talked about Jericho in the previous podcast, and there we go. I, was, uh, I went there. I had uh, clients, tourists, that told me they wanted me to help them 
make an itinerary for two for three days. And one of the things that they put on the list was Jericho. They wanted to go to Jericho. They didn't really know why, uh, but you know, it was one of those places that they wanted to see. So I said, okay, we'll go to Jericho and we'll go and look and check out uh, Jericho's uh, Hisham's palace. Incredible, yes. I mean, I knew about it and I had read about it and so on, but it is so amazing. Now, uh, what is even more amazing is that we were the only ones there. There was nobody else. It was uh, super quiet. So the guy at the entrance was very happy to see us. Um, so Hisham's palace is a beautiful, beautiful Muslim palace that was built in the 8th century uh, by a nephew of the sultan, probably, uh, who was kind of a playboy. And you can see it when you walk through the palace because it's like, um, they call it in France, Matu vu. Like, have you, have you seen me? You know, it's all, it must have been so amazing. A huge palace with lots and lots and lots of mosaics. So it's really something I recommend going. And, uh, but it's, it's a bit weird because you're walking around there all alone. So you do kind of think there, why wouldn't no, why wouldn't anybody go there? But it's probably because it's in Jericho. It's complicated to go to. It's easy and complicated to go to Jericho. Everything, everything's complicated. Misubach. Remember my favorite uh, Hebrew word, misubach. It's complicated. Yes. Uh, but I think we ought to do a, a podcast just on on uh, on Hisham's palace. Uh, okay. Someday. So I'm going to yep. add that to my list. Yes. And you know who fought the battle of Jericho, right? Who fought the battle of, ba- uh, of Jericho? Joshua. Ah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Joshua of course, the of course. Of Jericho. Yes, with Joshua the trumpets. The of Jericho. Yes. And the walls came down, tumbling down, tumbling down. Exactly. It's uh, no, no. Of course, I was. I thought you were t- talking about something that because Shmuel, our dear Shmuel, he uh, talked a lot about Jericho and Nisham's palace. Uh, so he's the one who kind of. Uh, pushed it forward I think maybe uh, otherwise I would not have even thought about going there but um, no no it's 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 the oldest the oldest and the lowest city in the world that's the tradition of Jericho I would argue it's not the oldest but they certainly have the sign when you enter Jericho that says the oldest exactly. city in the world exactly exactly so let them um, I, I support them in uh, believing that they they deserve it they deserve it. So, we have a topic every week, as you know. So, the topic this week is Konrad Schick, the Jerusalem Renaissance Man. That is our topic of the week. So, I I, I really like the topic. Uh, Alan was kind, kind of um, hesitating when I put it forward. So, who is Konrad Schick? Konrad Schick is a, was a German uh, who was born in 1822 in southern uh, Germany. And <clears throat> sorry, he went to uh, um, like he was when he was a child. He was often sick, so he was uh, staying at home. His parents were farmers, and uh, as he was home at home, and they gave him pencils and paper and so on, and he draw a lot. And it turned out that he was uh, quite uh, he had quite a talent. So he, his parents sent him, as they used to do that in those days when he was fourteen, to a craftsman school where he learned to draw and to to be a carpenter and to work with metal and so on. And it is also in that school that he saw the light. He met missionaries. In the 1800s, um, there were in Europe a lot of Christian missionaries, so uh, people that went around the world uh, trying to convert uh, non-Christians to Christianity. 
And um, this is how he decided to become a missionary himself, and he ended up in Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem, he uh, became a clockmaker. Apparently, they didn't have... He had gone through uh, Switzerland, actually. So I guess it's in Switzerland that he learned how to make and repair clocks. So he became a clock uh, maker. He made those cuckoo, uh, you know, cuckoo, cuckoo, <laughs> those clocks. Yeah. yeah, like you see in, I think it was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, they had all the cuckoo clocks. But uh, Yeah, uh-huh. my grandmother actually, who was from Austria, she had um, a little Austrian cuckoo uh, clock where um, each uh, time, each hour, a little Austrian uh, guy would come out of a little house and then the other hour a little woman could come out of the house. Very so, kitsch. So, so very he cute. was a cuckoo clock maker and how, yeah. did, how did he become the renaissance man so what, what happened is that in the 18 mid 1800s second half of the 1800s christian countries were allowed to enter it was still called palestine in exchange for money because in by that time the ottoman the turks were still in power we were part of the ottoman empire huge empire and the turks had not really invested uh, much in this country. So this country was an extremely medieval place, whereas in the rest of the world, the world was already in the middle of the industrial revolution, but not here. But So the Ottoman, they did understand they had to do something, but they didn't have the money anymore by now because it was all spent. So they allowed um, different Christian organizations from Europe, from the United States, from the Russia, for instance, to come here in exchange for money. They were allowed to build churches, but also where this was probably part of the deal, they had built uh, schools, hospitals, libraries. Uh, the Austrians, they set up post offices all around the country. So they kind of started to develop the country. And in the same time, uh, be, where they were working, developing the country. And through that, doing that, they could convert people because the Muslims and Jews would come to the post office, to the hospital, to the schools. And then, you know, they could be influenced and uh, become eventually Christians. Well, these, these, I, I, these are people I, I would refer to and are sometimes referred to as the uh, Christian Zionist, okay, because they were coming also to, to revive the land. Absolutely, and uh, they did. Yeah. It was very necessary. Can you imagine though, in the 18, let's say, 60s, there was no post office here. I mean, it's, uh, if you had a letter, you had to give it to a private guy, and maybe he was going to bring your letter, maybe not. So it was necessary, and lots of hospitals, because there were a lot of diseases. So he uh, then, as he was very good with his hands, he is then asked in the 1870s by the Ottoman authorities to make a model of the Temple Mount because he was obsessed with the Temple Mount and he was actually allowed, because of uh, this request, to go to the Temple Mount and to go under the buildings, which is almost never ever done. So he would go under the Al-Aqsa Mosque, he would go under the Dome of the Rock, to all the places that we would die to go. Right, unlike uh, the stories of Charles Warren, the British surveyor who came and was shooed away. You know, most people were not allowed to go underneath or even on top of the Temple Mount, uh, Hiram al-Sharif. Uh, but he had a different relationship. He he was actually invited to come. Exactly. So he made s- several models of the Temple Mount from the time of uh, Herod, from the time uh, of of 1872, 1873. And uh, when you go to and see his models, you should actually uh, go under the models and then you can see all the water systems and everything that he found there and from one thing came another and then he started to he was asked to build buildings actually so he built a lot of buildings in uh, jerusalem and 
why did uh, I think of him? Because coming to the Brown Hotel, I always walk by his house. The Boer house, yeah. Exactly, which is like right next door, which is an amazing house. So he built many, many, many buildings. And when I uh, researched a little, I actually he built even much more than I thought. So, so do you like the buildings of Konrad Schick? Yeah? I, I, I love the buildings. And, and as uh, Leontine said, uh, when she came up with the idea of Konrad Schick, I was a little resistant to the idea but ultimately came around because if you think about it, um, we, we call him a Renaissance man. And what makes him worthy of this podcast is when you're in Jerusalem, you see a lot of Conrad Schick. And he was a, a clockmaker. Uh, he made the models. He became an architect. Uh, and he was self, self-taught, wasn't he? Self-made man, totally. Self- self-made, yeah. self-taught. And he was revered and respected by the Jews, Christians, and Muslims that were living in Jerusalem. So everybody was, was hiring him uh, to build and design um, their, their, uh, their projects. So he, yeah, he, he left his, he left his, his print uh, on, on Jerusalem in particular. He did. Uh, so he, yeah, I think you made a good choice with yeah. uh, selecting Conrad Schick. Uh, and I'd love to talk about some of what we see in right. Jerusalem. Well, f- first of all, his house, which is next door, which he built 55 years after he arrived here. So uh, really towards the end of his life, he lived in the old city, but then he moved to um, to uh, the, the house that he built for himself and his wife, Friederike. And uh, it is an amazing place that uh, you have on top of the house, you see horns, little stone horns that remind us of the horns that were on the altars that we have found all over uh, the land of Israel um, that were the, the Jewish altars in the different temples that were built here in the country. You have, uh, he put in on in the facade, he put inscriptions. Um, one of them, for instance, is the uh, a copy of the inscription that they found in Tel, Tel Gezer. That is a very old inscription about the boundaries of Gezer. Okay, he built also very close by a hospital, a Jewish hospital. It and became, uh, became it's, uh, Shari Tzedek, actually the, the yeah. old Shari Tzedek, uh, also here on, on the Street of the Prophets, right. across the street from where we're sitting. Exactly, now. exactly. Another place that he built that is on King George Street, there is um, just a facade of a building, uh, Talita, it's called, and uh, that was also, uh, it was a clinic, I think. And uh, Actually, it was, because uh, I, I, I researched it, Yeah. because uh, I always see the building. So, and many people that visit Jerusalem, when you're on Ben Yehuda Street, and you go up to the top of the street, and you yeah. get to King George, across the street is the facade with a, with a little tower next to it, um, because it was replaced uh, with the Mashbir. The Mashbir was the first uh, department store. Uh, in Israel, and they replaced it. So they left the facade there. But what what I found out about the building, the building was actually, if you, the, the name, which is Talith al-Kumi, it means get up girl. Get up girl in Arabic because it was a school for Arab children. Many ah, right. Them, it was a school, not a hospital. Many, of, right. them, many of them yes. orphaned. But this Arab school, this school for Arab uh, girls will become a school for Arab girls and also for Christians uh, and Jewish uh, students. Uh, today, I think, they're, I think they've re- their, their facility, it still exists, is in Beit Jala. Right. Near Bethlehem. Yeah, 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 exactly. Now, another place that I actually didn't know that he built it 
is the Maronite monastery. I think it was already there, but the Maronites, it was a hospital, and the Maronites uh, asked him to uh, enlarge it. And uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful building, a small monastery in the old city. Very beautiful. Uh, and another place that uh, I don't know if you knew that he built it. You know, when you are walking the Via Dolorosa and you, are, you go to station number eight, where uh, the station is where Jesus met with the daughters of Jerusalem. And then when you walk back, you see the entrance of the Johanneshausen, uh, I think it's called. It's a German um, hostel. Very beautiful kind of neo-Gothic entrance. And that was also built by him. And another place that he built is also not far from us. It's right behind the hotel where we're sitting. Uh, right behind the Villa Brown is the, uh, today it's an ultra-religious Haredi neighborhood of Mea Shireen. Exactly. He was the one at the time when, uh, when, when uh, the population is growing inside of the old city walls and people are uh, forced to move outside the walls. The earliest Jewish neighborhoods... Uh, included Mea Sharim, and he was the architect uh, that designed, he did the urban urban planning uh, for the neighborhood of Mea Sharim, which today is uh, ultra-religious, and many people go to see just to, just to see the culture uh, of that, that religious world inside of Mea Sharim. And another place that he uh, designed, which is uh, near and dear to my heart, literally near because it's in my backyard, is the Hansen House. Yes. He designed the leper uh, hospital uh, that's there. And you remember above the door what it says? Uh, Jesus Hilfe. Jesus Hilfe. Yeah. And what does that mean? Uh, Jesus helps. Yes. Yeah. And it's a very uh, interesting, fascinating complex, walled complex, beautiful building. Uh, today we go there all the time because it's become a cultural uh, center and has uh, a restaurant um, that I know Leontine loves I love to it. get the cheese there. Yes, yes. It's uh, no, no. It's it's a great place. You can have a wonderful lunch there, or the, they have even a shop with lots of products. But it, uh, the building initially was built by uh, by Konrad Schick. I think it's a very beautiful building, um, and so there is much more. And and as I was also like researching the the subject, I thought. I am going this winter when it's a bit, bit calmer. I'm going to develop a tour about Konrad Schick. So hopefully somebody will be interested and I'll do a walking tour uh, through Jerusalem visiting all of his buildings. Uh, there's one last place that I want to mention that is, I think is also a very beautiful building. It's the Schmidt Schule, the school, um, Christian school that is opposite Damascus Gate. That is really a beautiful building as well that he built uh, also. Uh, and apparently in the um, in that school, so that is something we'll, we'll go there together to find it this uh, winter, they have a small, um, in the cellar, like a small museum where they also have a few models of the Temple Mount that he made. So uh, that is something, it's called the Paulus um, Paulus uh, Room or something. So we'll go in and and explore that maybe this winter. Are you? Absolutely, yeah? I'm in. But I would also, I would make a suggestion that on your tour of Conrad Schick, you must uh, add cheese and, and lunch yes. at the Hansen House. Yes. And when you're in the old city, uh, to go see the models of Conrad Schick at Christ Church, ah. you should add coffee yes. and Danish at the Christ Church Cafe. Absolutely. I think the Christ, he built it actually also, he the did. Christ Church. Yes, he so... Did. Yeah, Konrad Schick. So he, he died here in uh, Jerusalem when he was 80. 
Um, he's buried in Jerusalem on Mount Zion in the Protestant uh, cemetery. And um, sad, but in the same time very romantic, two weeks after he died, his wife Friederike also passed away. So they are buried together among their Protestant friends on in the cemetery of Mount Zion. Well, he died, but his legend lives on. And did you know that he had a part in the uh, discovery of the Shaloach inscription at the city of David inside Hezekiah's tunnel? Uh, it wasn't it discovered by a little boy? Ah, so it was discovered by two little boys, two ah. boys from the American colony. Yeah. Uh, and they were students of Conrad Schick's. Conrad uh, Schick taught at the school yeah. for the American colony uh, Christian um, children. And they were his students, which created the dilemma. Because when they discovered the Shaloach inscription, they were actually playing hooky from school. Ah. And when they discovered the Shaloach inscription, that's the inscription in the Hezekiah's tunnel that describes the meeting point of the uh, workers of King Hezekiah to, to, to build the tunnel. The two teams that were coming from opposite sides, yeah? They, they, they needed w to, to share their discovery. And who best to share the discovery with other Con than Conrad Schick? Exactly. The dilemma was... They played hooky from his class <laughs> to go exploring when they found the inscription. Played hooky means that you are... Skipping uh, school. Skipping school, yes. Yeah, so they skipped his class and ended up having to bring him the Shaloach inscription. See what we found? Yes, we skipped your class, but look at this. I couldn't be angry with them anymore. I'm sure he was very happy. So he was the one, by the way, that, that published um, the, the discovery of yeah. the Shaloach inscription. So he became an archaeologist now. Well, the Renaissance you, man. He right. was archaeologist, clockmaker, model maker, uh, whatever else. I mean, he, he, he did a lot of things. Uh, amazing. Yeah. yeah, amazing. So that's, uh, that's Konrad Schick. And uh, so, yeah, well, I'll develop a tour. And when it's ready, I'll, I'll let you guys know. I'll know not to question your, your topics anymore. <laughs> that was a pretty good topic. It, yeah, yeah, it was. Now, um, I got a question, actually, the other day. I have a French family that wants to come and visit. And they told me we are like to visit trendy places. So, of course, we're going to visit Tel Aviv. We're going to visit Jerusalem. There are some very trendy places in Jerusalem. And they said we would like to go to Lebanon because apparently they found some very uh, famous uh, trendy places in Lebanon. So they asked me, can uh, I visit... When I'm in Israel, can I then go from Israel to Lebanon? So, so is that the question? That's the question. And you're sticking to it? Yeah. Okay, so the question <laughs> is, uh, can I visit Lebanon? Uh, yes, you can visit Lebanon. You just can't visit Lebanon from Israel, okay? Uh, in Israel, um, Lebanon declared war against Israel in 1948 during the War of Independence, and to this day... Um, we have ceasefire arrangements, armistice agreements with Lebanon, but Israel and Lebanon are still uh, in a state of war. We do not have peace. The only Arab neighbors surrounding us, our adjoining neighbors that we have peace with, is Jordan and Egypt, uh, but not with uh, Lebanon and Syria, our two other neighbors. So you cannot enter uh, Lebanon from Egypt, I mean from Israel, but you can uh, see it, you can actually go to Rosh Hanikah, which is the northern, the extreme northern uh, boundary of Israel. 
uh, along the Mediterranean coast, and you can actually walk up to the, the fence, the gate, with the soldiers guarding the, the border. Uh, you can also go to Matula. Matula, exactly. Yeah, yeah, one time Matula was even open uh, for Lebanese Christians to come in and work and receive medical care, and it, it was called the, the, the Good Fence mm-hmm. at that time, but it hasn't been opened in years. But you can stand there and look uh, into... Um, Lebanon, but no, you cannot. I'm sorry to say that you cannot uh, visit Beirut uh, from Israel. Not yet. No, it's a a shame. It's a shame. And the other way around, you can go from Beirut to Israel. So I'm really, I was really sorry to say to these people, I'm really sorry, but you'll have to go to Jordan, I guess, or I don't know where you have to, but you from Israel to Jordan and then to Beirut, something like that, but not directly. And make sure you don't have an Israeli uh, passport when you do it. No, no, that wouldn't work out so well. So I, uh, I really enjoyed talking about um, Konrad Schick and, uh, and to look into this uh, little question, can we go to Lebanon from Israel? I hope you enjoyed the podcast too, too and see you, speak to you next week. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to Yala Israel. Send your questions by email at yalaisraelpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at yalaisraelpodcast. This podcast was made possible with the help of Leia Kramer, our editor, Elliot Musses, our musician, and Shai Aloni, our cover art designer.